0: Heyo! I'm Katie. And it's your boy, Corey, and this is the Press Next Podcast.
1: Welcome back to the Press Next Podcast. We are back at it again with another Black History Month episode. Yes,
0: I'm actually very uh, excited to have this conversation because I feel like I'm going to be asking you a lot of questions. Okay. As our president white woman, white woman. <laughs> um not to necessarily speak on behalf of your race but since you are here we are in a, in a relational interracial, interracial what the fuck is wrong with <laughs> me <laughs>
1: interracial relationship. relationship
0: thank you uh my tongue has been tired for the last like 48 hours i think it's because i haven't been getting a lot of sleep because uh much like all of you who are in texas and everything else you have been dealing with this cold weather and that cold weather has caused, you know, pipes to bust and stuff like that. So we have, uh, dealt with that as well.
1: Listen, we started a week before Texas. Yes,
0: we did. And so we are over this ice, snow, cold weather, uh, thing that is happening because Pipe it busting, is
1: rooms flooding.
0: Yes, it is is ridiculous. Sad. Okay, it's sad. Um, yeah, very sad. We, especially for for our folks back at home. We are from Texas. We hope that uh, you are all getting through it because mm-hmm. we know that the Texas government ain't doing a damn thing for y'all. Um, but I know that if there's, if there's one thing I know about my Texan folk, we're going to take care of each other. So I hope that um, people have been reaching out to you. You've reached out to people or you've gotten the help that you need if you need help. Um, dang, I didn't mean to turn this dark real quick, but at the same time, it is a reality of stuff that we have been going through. And um, yeah, the other night, one of our, we lived in an apartment building in uh pipe busted outside of our unit and uh, it caused us to stay up all night because oh my gosh. I we work woke here. up
1: at one 45 with the fire alarms going off
0: and water just flowing.
1: Corey, Corey walks out of the bedroom and he's like, Oh, that's not good. I hear water outside. Mm-hmm. And so I, he left the apartment cause you know, he works here. He's handling it. I opened the door and as soon as I open the door, I see a river outside of our front door. Water's coming into the apartment I see a river outside and a police officer f- shines a flashlight in my face. And he's like, he is tripping out y'all. Like Corey is so calm and collected and like got to handle business. And this police officer's like, is your apartment flooding? And I'm like, why are you yelling at me? It's yeah, two right. o'clock in the morning. I don't know what's happening.
0: And The dogs <laughs> are going crazy. Um, so it was wild. And I didn't get a lot of sleep at, if at all. And Katie didn't either. So um, I, I, even though I got a lot of sleep last night, <laughs> if my tongue is tied during this episode, I apologize. Yes, but I don't because we're, I we're do getting work. through it. we're gonna get you through. You know,
1: it. we were we were one of the lucky ones. There's Very. a lot of people whose whole apartments flooded. There's water all over the floor. Luckily, all the water that got into our apartment, we were able to clean up with with towels. towels yeah, so, so we just
0: kind of blocked I'm it before it got all in. Counting
1: our blessings and praying hard that we can get through this cold snap without something else happening yes
0: because there are still threats so uh if you are new to our podcast welcome in uh we welcome any new listeners and we want to welcome back our old uh, listeners as well thank you for coming back um this is a podcast where we take tv shows documentaries movies and we kind of talk about the real life uh, applications and the, Mm -hmm. the themes and have discussions centered around that um we also like to do a lot of things for our fans and the people who um stick with us so if you're new or if you're old and you're listening to this now, here's what I need you to do. There is a thing on our on our Instagram. If you click on the link. Uh, there's a thing a form you can fill out called Press Next Package uh, that will give us your information. But every single month, we just pick a random person and send them a package just to show appreciation because we love the fact that you listen to us. Uh, so if you want to be a part of that program, go ahead, go to our Instagram, Press Next Podcast. Fill out that package form uh, and we will send you something. So we appreciate y'all listening. Mm-hmm. Uh, we want y'all to know that this episode will be centered around uh, the movie Django Unchained, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. And also um, the trope of being a white savior, right? Yeah. And white savior in Hollywood uh, and allyship. So, uh, yeah, I'm really excited about this. If you have not seen Django Unchained, I do the same thing every single episode. You can pause it now and go watch it. Django! Django! You could uh, watch it later with a little bit of new understanding uh, or a different uh, perception and listen to this now. Or you can never watch it and that'd be fine too. But we're about to get into it. We'll have some spoilers because we'll talk about scenes and stuff we love and everything else. Um, So without further ado, let's jump into it. So first and foremost, I need y'all to know this is important.
1: Yeah, I was... Just first and foremost, I know that sometimes the topic of race can be like monotonous and it seems like that's all we talk about, but it's Black History Month. That's why we're getting into it, especially this month, but also like the facts of race are our reality. Like we are an interracial couple, white woman, black man, and these are things that we see daily and Um, that's why we are focusing so much on it this month, specifically with Black History Month, Mm -hmm. but, um, it's an important conversation to have year round. Yes.
0: And every single month is a theme that we have. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, when we get to Sexual Assault Month, that's, we're going to spend the entire month talking about that. But it's also because these, these issues are so multi-layered, right? So every conversation that we've had so far about Black History Month and and race Mm -hmm. has been layered, right? Mm -hmm. 13th was about, um... The prison industri- industrial synth, mm-hmm. like it's about mass how incarceration. Ma- mass incarceration, right? And and how that stems from from racism and things of that nature. Well, last week we talked about interracial relationships and dating and the fears of uh of being a black dating a white woman or uh, a black woman dating a white man and going to uh, a white house being and you feeling off, yeah being the any, minority in that situation. Yeah. Uh, and and today we're going to talk about allyship and and uh and white savior um uh, yeah white savior tropes and white savior it's called something else complex um so we really could spend probably every day talking about a different (laughs) faction when it comes to race and we can probably spend every day talking about a different faction when it comes to anything sexual assault when it comes to women when it comes to anything so uh yes i know probably another conversation but we're we're diving into a different layer of it, uh, and this one's going to be about allyship. So if you are not black and you find yourself wanting to be and trying to be an ally, you probably want to listen to this uh, yeah. episode. Um, if you are black and you have some allies, <laughs> you probably want to listen to this episode. Um, if you have no idea, what you, probably want to to, you probably yeah. want to listen to this episode. Uh but yes, thank you for uh prefacing that um because I think it is important. But another important thing is I think y'all need to know that when it comes to cinema in Hollywood, I hate I hate slave movies.
1: Yeah, I hate feel them. like I hear that from a lot of I hate em. people.
0: Hate them, hate them, them hate Because Cause we, it
1: seems like that's the only thing that's, that sticks. Yes. Yeah. The
0: only thing that like they want to show us, right? And when I say they, I we have to break this down into certain categories, right? Here's how I break down film and TV. I break down, when it comes to black films and black movies and everything else, I break down, when I say something is a black film, I mean, not only is the cast characters, producers, directors, and everything else black, but the audience that they have that had, they have curated for this film is a black audience, okay? A wholly majority black audience, like, like a Tyler 90 Perry. to, right, right, it, but even some of Tyler Perry's movies are what I would deem as crossover films.
1: That's true. The Medea movies, I feel like, are very crossover. Right, but the plays love
0: Medea exactly. So here is a difference for them. That's a perfect example for me at least. The Medea plays for me are Are black.
1: Yeah,
0: they're they're black. Yeah, they are wholly black. Are the audience is majority black? You're not going to go into one of those and see even ten percent white folks Mm -hmm. or anybody else in there. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: The movies made more for Hollywood and cinema tend to be a little bit more crossover, a little bit more softened to have a wider audience because the black people already saw the plays. Right. So it doesn't make sense to just put it in film form. Right. (laughs) Right? We saw saw all the plays before every single movie. Um, so that's a perfect, like, it's a perfect example. Like I deemed the show Martin as being a wholly black show versus the show Fresh Prince as being a crossover show, right. Where Mm -hmm. you have, uh, uh, it's a black family but the dad is like a judge they live in in, in bel-air um it has a lot of white influence and it's able it's so it's so tamed i don't put tamed in in quotations that it's palatable for white people right okay. it's easier for white people to understand fresh prince than it is for them to understand martin which is also why i have the theory why a lot of people, a lot of black people don't like friends because we have living single okay they're we completely different living. exactly um but stuff like that. So I think in media and in entertainment, specifically in Hollywood, there are black films and then there's crossover films. Um, this Django Unchained to me is, and the crossover films tend to be mainstream. Django Unchained is a crossover film. Yeah, because it's not a black film, even though um, it's a sto- it's a black story, right? Because the lead character in People can even argue if he's the lead character. Yeah, um, true. The lead character is a black man, so they will bill it as a black movie. It's a crossover film for me. Mm-hmm. It's directed by uh, Quentin Tarantino, who uh, f- phenomenal, great director has a has a very distinct style. Um, used to hate him, now I love him.
2: Very
0: dark. <laughs> yeah, he's very dark, but it's very. Once you kind of break down Tarantino films, he's a genius. Like, he's just it's great. You okay. get it, you know it's him, but he is great. Yeah. Uh, I used to hate him. Now I love him. But anyway, Django is a story about a man. Uh his name is Django Freeman. Well, Freeman later because he got he gets freed, where he's a slave. It starts out as him as a slave. And um he gets bought by a guy who is posing as a dentist, as his name is Dr. Schultz. Doctor Schultz. But he is a bounty hunter, this white man played by Christoph Waltz, who I really want to drive home that everybody did a phenomenal job mm-hmm. in this movie. Okay, there's not a role. It's
1: a really good movie. Really good
0: movie. Not a role in this movie that that anybody slept on. Right, everybody did a great job. And I and I'm glad they casted Jamie Foxx because Jamie Foxx is from Terrell, Texas. Uh, he grew up on a farm. Like he's very country. He's a country boy. Mm-hmm. So it felt very. Uh, it felt very authentic. natural and yeah. authentic. Right, uh, because they did actually try to cast Will Smith. That's a lot of people don't know that. They tried to cast Will Smith. And you know what Will Smith said? You know why he turned it down? He said it didn't feel like Django was a lead role. I don't think he was wrong. Hmm. (laughs) But I'm still happy that they casted Jamie Foxx. And anyway, so he gets bought um, in the middle of the... uh, in the middle of the night, in the middle of the woods, right? Who was that bumbling around in the dark? That's like my favorite thing. How many times a week do I say that?
1: State your name or, or prepare, prepare to
0: get name. Wayne. <laughs> I say that your business. all the yeah. time. Um, but yeah, he's a bounty hunter. And his real thing is, um, he poses as a, as a dentist, but he's bounty hunting. Uh, and he went to go get Django because Django was the only person that was going to be able to identify this bounty for him. The Brittle Brothers, right? Mm -hmm. uh and so django had came from the the brittle plantation uh and he knew the brittle brothers so christoph waltz dr schultz went to go buy django so that django can serve one purpose which is point out the brittle brothers he'll split the bounty with django give them his papers to be free and boom 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 Uh, and they can live from there or leave from there very simple movie if you break it down to that yeah. <laughs> it's just like let me go get Django. he gonna point out these folks we i'm gonna kill these folks and i'm getting his money give him his freedom papers and he can ride off in the night and his woman right but that didn't come till later right his woman his woman we got your woman, we got uh, your woman. <laughs> yeah, it's, that movie is so full of quotables we, uh, we
1: do quote django a lot all the time
0: i literally saw it about like almost six times when it was in theaters really yeah i have it on uh blu-ray i, I watch it like it twice years. a year yeah the first time i watched it, i was in nacogdoches texas uh i went to go see my brother for christmas when he was at sfa and um see the great films you never forget where you were yeah you know? and we went in and uh this is funny it's a funny story we went to the movie theater we watched the movie and um, I actually didn't even want to see that movie that day, but it's like boring in so especially over Christmas time. So I was like, let's go see a movie. We need to go see Django. And the one thing I remember besides how great the film was is that there's one... People were looking at you. <laughs> no, yes, that too. But there's one part of the movie where Django's hanging upside down and you can see his... Uh... You see his business, mm-hmm. and some, like this group of white boys behind me. It's funny. One of them said, "Look at that big black cock," and I started <laughs> dying laughing. Yes, dying laughing in the middle of the movie theater. It wasn't a lot of people in there, but that part happened. It was just so funny. <laughs> do
1: you <laughs> think why that was really you... him? Um, or I
0: don't do know. Think he had a no, he probably had a stunt double, but who yeah. knows? Maybe it was. Maybe he was in the movie slanging that thing. I don't okay, know.
1: Hey, Jamie, ma'am,
0: ma'am. <laughs> anyway, ma- I don't know. I digress um uh, i don't know but either way that was like a funny mark part in that movie but that i saw cool. it there it's a great film and back to the movie it's pretty long it is very long but as all tarantino movies are yeah that's okay true. because they have so much depth like literally everything is a uh, very well thought out but it's very it's taken to the extreme right um so anyway so he buys Django, and Django ends up traveling with him and learning how to become like a bounty hunter because it's not easy to find the brittle brothers mm-hmm. right we're back in like way back in the days when slavery is still a thing so you can't just like get on the internet and search where what plantation are the brittle brothers at now you know and then go straight to that plantation you kind of got to go around mm-hmm. get a get some information from here get some information from there you might as well handle some business while you're on the way right and so that's what they do right they show up to daughtry texas and they kill the the sheriff or whatever. Um, not the marshal but the sheriff (laughs) (laughs) that's quote right there they kill him because he's really somebody else so he gets the bounty from there which that's a cool scene he was like the way i see it you owe me two hundred dollars right like one of my favorite scenes um and then yeah so he's teaching Django how to be the 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 fastest gun in the west right Mm -hmm. or this side of the mississippi and one and it really becomes like a buddy story like a buddy a good feel buddy movie yeah where it's like Django, this black slave who really doesn't know anything, right? he That's how they bill it. Like, he he knows how to talk, but you kind of have to explain some stuff. Like, uh, you know, you, he doesn't know the word like certain, you know? Like mm-hmm. when he says, are you certain that's him? I don't know what that means. Yeah. yeah. Right? Like, so... There's a uh, there's a moment where Django gets to pick out his own clothes and he's very surprised. And not only does he pick out the clothes, he picks out the most like flamboyant clothes ever.
1: He did have some swagger. He
0: did. You know, he just but it's not typical of what like a black man in the South would wear. But it's just so he's so excited. He's like, you you was going to let me pick out my own clothes. Mm -hmm. Right. So you get the contrast of like this white man who only wears interesting enough. He only wears grayscale. If you ever see Dr. Mm Schultz in the movie, he only Mm -hmm. wears something in gray. And uh, which was apparently something that was very, uh, very slated. I still don't understand why, but he's very clean cut, very boom, boom, boom. And you got Django, who is this, uh, who's a slave who's only known like chaos. Right. Uh, And they are somehow seemingly working together and they get up on this mountain and they're, you know, eating some stew. And Django tells a story about his wife, who is Broomhilda. Right? Who was played by Kerry Washington.
1: Broomhilda Everybody, Von. can y'all
0: do the uh, Von Shaft?
1: Von Shaft.
0: Right. Can y'all do the Kerry face? I can't do it right now. It's the Kerry face. Stop.
1: Phase. Stop making fun of her.
0: I love Kerry. With we, the teeth. Yeah, with the teeth. There you go. There you go. There you go. Is this the Kerry phase? <laughs> but um, no, we love Kerry. She's a phenomenal actress. She, she is. She's a, a queen. Uh, and she's married to Namdi, who used to play for the Eagles. So shout out to him. Um not know that. Hey, oh, see? Look at I you. didn't know that. Look at you. He's a, he's an actor as well, but he used to play for the Eagles. He used to be a phenomenal... When he was for the Raiders, he was like a lockdown cornerback. Like, one of the best cornerbacks in the league at one time. Uh, but anyway, shout out to Kerry Wilson. Kerry Wilson. <laughs> Kerry, <laughs> Kerry Washington. See, I told you. He's brain for Wrong farts. woman. Wrong woman. And he's on the mountain. He tells uh, Dr. Schultz about Broomhilda von Shaft, And Dr. Schultz is just so like, what? Broomhilda... I'm German. There's a story, like a tale about a girl mm-hmm. named Broomhilda. Like the most, the most uh, popular tale is about Broomhilda Von Schaaf, or not Von Schaaf, but Broomhilda who's, you know, guarded by a dragon at the top of the hill. And you have to go kill the dragon um, to go get her, you know, and, mm-hmm. which is in that moment, we kind of see, this is a foreshadow of the story, right? Jamie Foxx, AKA Django, is going to be the person who saves his wife. Right. Nothing's going to stop him. Right. Broomhilda is the prime possession. Um, And so now the movie changes, right? It changes from, here's the deal. I was going to just let you find the Brittle Brothers, and then I'll give you, you know, you can, I hate the slavery thing. That's what he said. I said, I hate it. You know, on one hand, slavery's nasty, da-da-da-da, but on this hand, I can, I can use it to my advantage. Mm-hmm. He says it when he's in the bar. So now he's like, all right, I got an idea. I'm going to train you how to be the quickest gun in the West. We're going to get the uh, the Brittle Brothers, and then we're going to get your wife.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Then you can ride off in the sunset. We are going to win this fairy tale, you know? Uh, and that's what they do. They, they go around. Jamie trains. He trains, or Django cha- trains, trains, trains. Um, and then they actually get to the plantation, which is um, – the guy from Miami Vice, he's hilarious. I can't remember his name, but he, they get to the plantation where the Brittle brothers are. Um, and that's where we get some of the funniest things. I say this every single day, <laughs> or Katie says this too. Anytime where I say something and Katie perceives it as something else, I'll say, no, that's not what I said. <laughs> that's not what I said. Uh, there's you want a, me to treat him yeah, like the
1: white folks?
0: No, that's not what I said. <laughs> Uh, because we pull up to this big plantation, which is actually like a plantation that is like is very historic, so they couldn't actually film inside. Uh they just filmed the outside of it. Um so interesting fact. But they go there and of course they're they're pulling like a bait and switch where um uh Christoph Waltz goes in and talks to the plantation owner, uh, owner which they call him Big Daddy in the movie. That's his name, Big Daddy. Yes, sir. Yes, big I'm Big Daddy. daddy. Uh uh, <laughs> you know, and uh so Big daddy plantation. He goes in and talks to him to they can parlay business or whatever. And, Don Johnson. Yes. And they go inside, or Django is now looking to confirm that the Brittle Brothers are at this plantation. Uh, so he goes and he confirms him and he does one of the uh, little Jody. Little Jody was getting whipped for cracking eggs on the tree, right? Mm-hmm. So now. Django's getting all of these emotions, right? Of right. like, I remember when they were whipping my wife mm-hmm. and and I'm begging, right? He said, listen, you want me on your knees, I'm begging, you know? And he said, and, and the Brittle brother told him, I like the way you beg, boy. And so this became like a huge moment in the movie. And it's very early in the movie too, where Django now finds the Brittle brothers and he kills one of them and whips with a whip the other one, like whips the hell out of them.
1: Yeah. Right? And because then- I think you you were telling me that the- the theater was going wow. Yo, they were going crazy. Yeah. Everybody
0: in the theater was like, Let, get, get, y'all, let's go. He whipping them. Give him another one. Like, just going hard, going mm-hmm. hard. Pop, 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 pop. So Django just, just whipping his ass, uh, which was like, y'all have to understand this movie, especially for black people who have only seen slave movies, this is the complete opposite. You have a slave who is now a, a bounty hunter hunting white folks that are whipping slaves. Mm-hmm. This is like the ultimate feeling. You get the the tables have turned. Mine have the, uh, the turns table, right? Mine
1: have the turntable. Uh,
0: so this is like a huge moment. And then, and then he even turns the words on him. When he's dying, he says, I like the way you die, boy. Like that was like a mm-hmm. huge thing. That mm-hmm. was like in the trailer and everything else. It was huge. Um, so big moment. It kind of makes you feel good. And then that's when, um, you know, Dr. Schultz comes out and says, where's the other one? And he's out in the field. And then this is where we learn where he doesn't know the word certain, right? Mm-hmm. When he's like, are you certain that's him? He's like, I don't know like you don't know i don't know what certain means Mm
2: -hmm.
0: right um he's like yeah and then so dr show shot him and then he said i'm certain he did (laughs) (laughs) and uh so they get their bounty they drag the brittle brothers out they're gonna take the brittle brothers back so they can get their money and they know because they got ran off the plantation by big daddy so they know that big daddy's gonna come after Mm -hmm. them and they do and we get one of the funniest Scenes in cinema history out of this. Because Big Daddy is a racist. He's he's pretty much like a Klan member. And it literally is, shout out, to, um, shout out to Quentin Tarantino for this. Because when we get a Jonah Hill cameo.
1: Oh, I love Jonah Hill. Jonah
0: Hill came out of nowhere, right? We're he like, did. what the hell? Why is Jonah Hill here? And the point of this scene is to literally talk about, for you to see how stupid members of the KKK are. Mm-hmm. You have to be, really, to kind of have this ideal, and and I know a lot of y'all feel this way. Even if you are apprehensive about other people, we all feel the same way about the KKK. You really have to be dumb to be a member of the KKK. Right. There's no other way I see you. Even if you can speak better than how they speak in this film, you are still an idiot. You, You can't think far at all. And that's what this scene was. It was just so funny where they ride up and they're all talking about the bags, and I, I can't see. You know, I gotta. It doesn't matter
1: if you can see. All, all the matter that matters is
0: that the horse can see. <laughs> okay, that's rain. Right. You know, who made these bags? I watched my wife slave for hours making bags for you ungrateful sons of bitches. You know, and all, and all I, I hear, hear is criticize, criticize, criticize. criticize. Uh, from now on don't, don't ask, ask me or my mom for nothing, nothing. And he left so it's like it's <laughs> hilarious that that part of the that that scene that's probably
1: my favorite
0: is cinema greatness i can watch that scene over and over again because it's so hilarious they can't even get their shit together right mm-hmm. that's literally what the scene is you got a group of people who's a a, a a band of people whose really only job is that they're going to go kill dr schultz for for tricking them And then they're going to go kill Django because he's black. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Right? Because they're racist. And they can't even get their shit together. Mm -hmm. That is hilarious. Okay? Um, So, Cinema Great. Very funny scene. They end up all dying anyway because obviously they're not that smart. So, King Schultz outsmarts them Mm -hmm. and kills them all. Starts shooting. Yeah, they blow up the thing first. So, anyways, it started blasting. Exactly. Um, And so, now they are trying to track down Broomhilda and they... Long story short, they do, they find a way, they concoct a plan. Because Django's plan is this. And here's where we get to talking about the white savior. Mm-hmm. Django's plan is, well, I'm going to just go get her. I'm going to just blast anybody in the way. I don't mm-hmm. care who they're, they getting blasted on. I got the training now. You don't want to sell me that horse? I say, F that. I'm taking the horse and I'm killing you.
2: Because
0: mm-hmm. cause here's the premise. You took me, you took her. You didn't ask us. You're not a criminal for taking her. So why is it that I'm a criminal if I go get what's what's rightfully mine? I'm married here. That's my wife. Mm -hmm. And so Dr. Schultz is like, no, what you need to do is, because now you're going to be, you're going to have a bounty on your head. So we got to be smart about this, right? We got to be smart. Let me save you. Let me tell you a better way. What we can do is I can go pose as a Mandingo uh, fighter uh, manager, right? Which if y'all don't know what Mandingo fighting is, it's essentially you get... Uh, back in the day, they would have um like an underground fighting rink, and they would use these these big broad, brawny black men who were slaves mm-hmm. and they would fight essentially them,
1: like dog fighting but with but slaves. With, with, with slaves, uh, yeah, they
0: would fight them to the death and so yeah, uh which is nobody can convince me about what we know about slavery. It wasn't a thousand times worse,
1: oh one hundred percent
0: and what we know is already viscerally disgusting, yes. I. They have to be a thousand times worse, and so even the idea about this is just ridiculous, um, uh, and how mentally broken we had to be as a people to not rise against our pressures.
1: That scene is very disturbing. Well, all of the scenes with um, whoever that fighter was, was very disturbing because it's like. these enslaved people were not seen as people no and we know that but they weren't seen as people and you're literally watching two people fight to the death for nothing more than pleasure
0: right nothing more than pleasure of the white folks right and what he gonna get is his pole licked and a beer right and he's got to go fight again right like
1: there's nothing to gain from that but pleasure. Right. And, and it's so, very disturbing.
0: Yeah. And a lot of that has still carried on. And and that's the thing. You have, we have met Mansoor Candy, um, at his place because he's also, he Which owns a- plays Leonardo DiCaprio. Yes. Who plays, Le- Leo should have won a, uh, his first award should have came from this movie.
1: Yeah. I was going to say this, this was the movie that people were very upset that he still hadn't won yes. Any awards. Yes. Mm-hmm.
0: Everybody should have touched some sort of award in this film. The only one who did was Christoph Waltz, which is crazy, which mm-hmm. he deserved it. But Leo should have gotten an award for this one. Leo did a f- fantastic job. Um, I'm sure people feel a way about him using the N-word in the film. Um, top it for another day. But we know that Broomhilda is at Candyland, which is Mansour Candy's plantation. And so they pose as a Mandingo fighting manager and that Django is the Mandingo expert, right? He's just a, he's like a consultant. He comes in, he says, yeah, I will take that one and that one. And so they go, they watch this Mandingo fight. It is very obvious that Christoph Waltz is like not made for this. He really isn't, but he has to hold his, his cool. He has to hold together. Django has seen a lot, so nothing faces him. Mm-hmm. And we see that throughout the entire movie. And so. Of course, Monster Candy is like I'm not about to uh, I'm not about to sell any of these 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 fighters. Well, they make him an offer that he can't refuse, an offer that you, you can't refuse. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I do my Marlon Brando. But um, anyway, they so they say, okay, cool. We're gonna travel back to Candyland, and we're gonna you know we'll talk business, and I'll I'll court you and everything else, and I'll show you some good hosp- southern hospitality and whatever. Now, here is a very important more. Um, important moment that I think that Quentin Tarantino, he doesn't really drive home. And I think that people miss this.
2: Okay.
0: After the Mandingo fight, the first one, they're eating dinner. Do you remember the scene? Mm -hmm. They're having fun eating dinner and, you know, all his little, um, his, his, gosh, I want to use the correct term, but they're like, uh, comfort girls. Mm -hmm. They are, um, you know, they're there eating, having a good time. And he's really, um, he's really influenced by French culture. You can you can tell this, and so he's having about the, what He calls himself right. He has this conversation at dinner, talking about black people. Uh, you know, he's used the N word, and he's saying all black people are the same, which is essentially he's saying they're all monkeys and and don't have a brain and they're just they're just duds.
1: And he's talking about something like in the skull, right? Not yet, not yet. Okay, he's just
0: saying. Because he was, he also is into like, uh, I think it's called um, phrenology. I think it's called phrenology. I gotta look it up. But anyway, he is having this conversation about how if there's a thousand black people in words, as he says in the Negroes, i was use the word Negroes. If there's a thousand Negroes, 999 of them are, or 10,000, 999 of them are, uh, don't get my math wrong, nine thousand nine hundred ninety-nine, whatever, are are just straight dummies, but there is that one, and he calls him the ex- exceptional Negro, mm-hmm. um. But they're very hard to find, you know, and I still don't think they crossed the line, so that plays in a very, very, very important role. But I think he didn't really drive it home, so people just kind of missed that, right? Uh, did you even like remember that conversation?
1: Um, vaguely.
0: Right. I wish that it wasn't vaguely because it it is it's he's describing Django and doesn't even know that he is. Right. And so they take the trip to Candyland, which is like a, a days long trip or maybe even longer. And during that they encounter some stuff where Django has to maybe go a little bit over the edge and is acting about who he is, but he's selling a the role. Uh, they find somebody who ran away uh, and they feed them to, the, they feed this man to his dogs, which was for, for Django, nothing. You, think about this moment. Django is watching a black man, a slave, his brother, being torn apart by some dogs, while white people are rejoicing at this time. And Django doesn't bat an eye because he has seen worse. He's yeah. seen it all. It doesn't matter to him that this is because he even says it. He says, "If this what you, I'm not impressed mm-hmm. as what I've seen so far. I'm not impressed." Christoph Waltz is obviously like sick to his stomach because he can't even watch it. And so they get to Candyland and that's where we meet, um, that's where we meet Samuel L. Jackson's Jackson's character. (laughs) And um, he's funny in the film. He is the resident house slave, which if y'all do not know, let me just break it down for you real quick. There are, there were, when we talk about slavery, there's a lot of terms that people use. We talk about comfort girls, who were women who were in the house who were comfort girls, who right. offered sex to whoever the the plantation order said, you know, do this. Um, So they kind of ran a brothel. There are field slaves who were typically outside working in the fields, which is why their complexion is dark, right? They, right. Are, they have been tanned by the sun and have gotten darker melanin so that they can uh, uh, do better in the sunlight. And then, but all of these things come with cultural the common cultural things right then there is what is like the house slave the house negro you do not want to ever be the house negro right do you know what
1: to like you don't ever want to be that to the other enslaved people. yes to or the other slaves because as, as that person to the
0: because amongst your own if people if you
1: are that person then you are you're benefiting right
0: you're inside all you have to do is pretty much the bidding of uh, the 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 You're, you are quote unquote, the, to the black people, you're uncle Tom, right? Right. You are, you, you are a skin folk, not kin folk. You sold us down the river to the person who's in the house. They not having to bust their butt in the field. Right. Right. All they got to do is kiss massa's ass, do this, do that. And they essentially think they white. Like they have the privileges of being white. Right. When at the end of the day, they still black.
1: And, mm -hmm. Do you know or can you explain what qualifies you to be in the house because from what from my understanding and this could be completely wrong it's usually people who are more acceptable to white people so light skinned well, um features of a white person someone that they want to rape you know like Right
0: well that that's the thing so it's Think about lineage, right? You have somebody who is in the field
2: mm-hmm.
0: and you have these comfort girls. We know that these white slave owners were raping their slaves. Mm-hmm. The product of those I would know, be fair-skinned yeah. children who may or may not, you go out to the field, the field slaves might get you too because they feel some resentment towards you. Mm-hmm. So we might keep them in the house, as also because we don't want other people to know, right?
2: Right.
0: So the light skin came from that kind of lineage, but also the fact that they're not being in the house. Uh, but there's a lot of things that could probably qualify you. You can be the 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 kid of a slave owner, um, but I say kid in quotations, meaning you are their child, but they're not going to act like you're their right, child, right? Right. Right. You just came out with fairer skin, so so they say, nah. You was raped. You're a product of that, right? And you gonna come in the house because we don't want you out there. Everybody else. Yes. Did it help if guests came over? Uh, did you look more fair for them? Yeah, but I don't think it was too out of their realm to see other black folk in there, right? Because right. and the difference is between being in the house versus just when I say a house Negro, a house slave. It's not just being in the house. Because there's people in the house who are darker right. and who are slaves like the like, women who were serving the meals and stuff like that, right?
1: Right. And Samuel L. Jackson right. isn't like He's not light. He's yeah. black.
0: It's more about the willingness to kiss the masses' ass mm-hmm. to to assume those white privileges even though you are not white. To be able to turn yourself against your people to follow the rule of the masses.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: That was the main qualification. Right. I would kill my own slave brother for my my love of the massa which might be out of just protection of myself who knows
1: so going off a little bit um and going off of what we were talking about skin color and stuff do you think that that plays into things that we see now as far as with colorism? colorism
0: yes very much so and i mean you can even t- like
1: like it goes all the way back to field versus house
0: yes yes yeah like w- everything stems from that's what people don't understand Everything in culture stems from history.
1: Absolutely. That's why I wanted to bring it up because I think it's interesting to see how even in the black community, things are, because we can see it in systemic racism and the way the system is. But even in your own community, in the black community, you see that separation.
0: Right. It's the reason why we have to have songs about brown skin and dark skin girls. Right? Listen
1: to the story of OJ.
0: Yes, it's it's it, yes, yes by Jay Z. It's the reason why, um, you know, in the movie for Color Girls, the, the the role that Janet Jackson plays, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. She's too good for her own people.
1: Right.
0: Look at her appearance there. There was no color even in the rooms. There was mm-hmm. in, in her office. So yes, it. Uh,
1: you know what? You didn't catch that. No. When she said, "You ain't got no color. You ain't got in no here, color. It's in here. all white." Mm-hmm. Okay, just like you. Okay. Right,
0: so it goes to all of that, and 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 there has always been, which is why I really don't like when people say stuff like, "Oh, you acting real light skinned right now." Da 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 da. I try to quell that because people don't know that that came from when you say I'm acting light skinned What you telling me is that I'm a house slave.
1: Interesting. Okay.
0: Right. That's that's how deep it goes.
1: Right. No, and I kind of got that, but I feel like I'm more, you know into the culture
0: than, right. people than most who people aren't right.
1: married to a black man. <laughs> but
0: and that's how that's how we're saying it though too. Right. When I'm talking about you being being light skinned or whatever, I'm talking about you being soft. Okay. And the softness comes from stuff like that. So interesting. Yeah. I think that's it's really deep rooted, especially in the colorism mm-hmm. uh within our own um culture. And I would love for us to stop doing that, which is why I hate even when I'm listening to like I mean there's a way to like embrace it as well. Um uh, but that's just me personally. I know other people might feel differently about it, but it's what it is. Right. Uh, but that's just the history behind it. So I get it. But Steven, who was Samuel L. Jackson in this film, he's very black. Like he's very dark, mm-hmm. uh, but he has like white hair, Like He's like kind of bald, but he has like white hair. And he is really, really, really in love with Massa, with okay? Like he will yeah, do he anything, is. okay? <laughs> he think he run the plantation. He
1: does. There. He thinks, and that's the thing that with this character and watching him, it almost like he's too comfortable. Yes, like, to him, he thinks he's a white man. He exactly, thinks that he has earned his keep
0: to be able to do anything. And he's old, you know, old, my old decrepit bastard. And we see this but the from the second he's
1: never going to see you as that exactly. No matter how good, and you we are.
0: see this from the second he is introduced in the film
1: mm-hmm.
0: when Django is riding up on that horse, and. Steven says, "Who is that on that neck?" <laughs> That's a good. One.
1: You know, what I'm saying,
0: "Who is it?" You know, and he's like, "Let him." This is my guest. You go sleep. You go let him sleep in the big house. Your granddaddy rolled over in that damn dress. You know, like he's mm-hmm. in that moment. He even gets into it with 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 Leo, right? He gets into it with Candyland about who is his master. Who is his master yeah. about? Like, you can have this black person sleeping inside, mm-hmm. and and Candy had to let him know. I run the show here. You shut up. Go get them Go get them rooms ready, like I said. Right? That that moment was to show us about how much he thinks he runs it, but he's even still in control. Mm-hmm. And, and he doesn't even see it. Steven doesn't even see it no more. Right. That I think I run the show, but I still don't because I'm still being told what to do. Mm-hmm. I'm willing to sell out. I've never met this black man. This man is a free man, and I can't see him as one because I've never met one.
1: Right. Mm-hmm. You, If you're black, you're
0: black. Right? Mm-hmm. So when you rolled up on this on a horse, you a slave on a horse, and you ain't nothing on a horse because that's what I've been taught. You can't be riding a horse. A horse riding is reserved for white folks. Get off that horse. Hire on your horse, right?
1: Mm-hmm. That reminds me of um, what is that Kanye lyrics? If, you, even, if even if you're in the bands,
0: yeah, yeah, you still a negro in the coop. Yeah, uh, which is crazy. Like it's just it's the world that it's the way that we people are. Uh perceive you, and the thing about it is here's here is the the most important thing for that It's not only how white people see us it's that white people have put it in our brains to see each other that way. Mm-hmm. The fact that steven couldn't see and understand that Django was a free man and he should be treated as a free man, right We see it even earlier with Big Daddy trying to explain how how the black woman should treat Django. And the black woman says, "You want me to treat him like white folks?" And he goes, "No, that's not what I said." But he's trying to even explain, but he can't explain. How should I treat this black person who isn't a slave? I can't even explain it because I haven't had the encounter. Mm-hmm. Right. So we even then, it's still the trope of like, eh, you know, don't treat him like I treat you, but you can't treat him like you treat us. So he's somewhere in the middle. That's not how it is, mm-hmm. and that's how it is today. To this day, yeah, you're not us. Now, I treat you a little bit like us, but you know I'm not gonna treat you like us because you're not us.
1: Right?
0: That that That's white superiority, mm-hmm. which is that white savior complex.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You can't save yourself. I have to be the one to save you. In this film, Dr. King Schultz plays the white savior, but even in his head, it's hard for him to see Django as a free man.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And we'll even get to that. But they're at Candyland. They go there. They confirm that Broomhilda is there. And uh, Broomhilda actually tried to run away, Um, but they confirm she's there. They come up with a plan to buy Broomhilda. This entire thing was about buying Broomhilda away from the plantation. And so they go to dinner and um, Stephen is kind of picking up on this. Right. Stephen's picking up the vibes. This is another thing. Black folks kind of pick up on things that white folks can't. With other, when it comes to other black folks because it's just for the culture. Mm-hmm. There's things that I know of my people that I can pick up on that, that other white folks are not going to pick up on. It ain't for everybody. Exactly. It ain't for everybody. So Steven's picking up some things that like they know each other. He finally, right when he's about to buy, when Django and him about to buy Broom Hill's Freedom, ride off in the sunset. Steven pulls to aside, um, Steven pulls aside um, Mansour Candy and tells them they're not here to buy no Mandingo fighter they're here to buy Broomhilda but they were actually going to buy both they were going to buy the Mandingo warrior and they was going to buy Broomhilda all in the same thing and that way they can get with, away with Broomhilda mm-hmm. um, which helped because you know Broomhilda is German so the whole ruse was I'm going to go up they're going to send Broomhilda up as a as a comfort girl but Dr. Schultz was going to talk to her in her native tongue just have good conversation and let her know hey I've got your husband here. We're going to buy you and get away. So they knew the plan, but uh, Stephen kind of threw the foil in that by going in there and telling them, hey, they not here. They his for that girl." Okay, that's what he said, right? <laughs> <laughs> they ain't trying to buy no man dingo with it. They don't give a damn about that. They his for that girl. And he then he goes in there, and this is where we get into the, I'm looking up real quick. I think it's called phrenology, but I may be wrong. It's like the study of the skull and the brain and
1: i was about to say what does that mean
0: it's called phrenology okay it's the detailed study of the shape and size of the cranium as supposed indication of character and mental abilities
1: mm.
0: okay so, so going I, back to what he was saying yes i'll say it again so now we're at the dinner table he brings out the he brings out the skull of old ben okay who was his who was the house slave before Stephen? Mm-hmm. who served his daddy my daddy and my daddy's daddy right <laughs> that's what he says in the in the film and old Ben here, you know what I'm saying? Shave my daddy twice a day or twice a week, three times a week, whatever he says in the film. And he was saying to himself, why doesn't he just take the knife and slit my daddy's throat if he had the chance to every single time? And he cracked open old Ben's skull. And, you know, he's talking about phrenology. And he's saying, if you look here and here, black people have are, are predisposed to be loyal and that's it. And to be fed instruction and to be loyal if you crack open the skull of a Sir Isaac Newton or somebody else you wouldn't find these two dimples you will find them in other places uh that have creativity and uh pioneership and stuff like that right uh but he's saying but in a, in a, in uh in, in the skull of old Ben he was unburdened by by genius which means he he can't be a genius right mm-hmm. phenomenal line in the film and then he says to him, I bet if I crack open your skull I will find the same two dimples. What he's trying to say is that y'all are the same.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, been here, been dead, and I'm finna kill you. And then he um, he said, "Now nah, you know." And they call him Bright Boy, which is another thing I hate in the film. Yeah, but which is essentially it's trying to. Not. Okay, so bright means you are enlightened. You're not dumb, right? Uh, But you're a bright boy. He's like, oh, he's not like the other ones. This one's he's a little smart. You know what I'm Mm -hmm. saying? He's a little smart. You can, you might be able to teach him a little something. Maybe he has the, uh, he has the wherewithal that we can teach him to be a house slave. He's a bright boy. You know, he's a little funny. You know, he cool. He, he can, you can hang around this one. He's one of the, he's one that you can, you can get along with. He's a bright boy. Okay. So he says that he's like, bright boy. I do admit you are smart, but you know, I'm smarter. I figured it out. You know, there's been a lot of lies told across this table tonight, but that you can't believe. Uh when he's telling him, I figured out your plan. And what we're gonna do is you said the price for the right N word is this much money. I think it was five thousand dollar. They don't say dollars. They say dollar. A dollar. Five thousand dollar or ten thousand dollars. And he said, I'm not gonna sell you my Mandingo because it appears that Broom hilda is the in fact the right Negro. So we're gonna sell her to you and not give you that. And you're gonna take that, we're going to go in here and have white cake and you're going to take Broomhilda and you get, get the hell on, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's what happens. It kind of foils the plan, but hey, they still get Broomhilda, whatever. Um, so he signs the, the freedom papers. It's a very somber moment. You're like, oh, okay, this is going to end like this. It's kind of whack. They didn't get off with the Mannegal Award. They didn't pull one over on uh, Mansoor Candy, but they still get Broomhilda. But what happens here? The white savior also cre- creates the issue.
1: Right, with handshake.
0: Right. Here we go. The The plan has been...
1: Sealed. Sealed.
0: She, the, the, the papers, papers have signed. been signed. Yeah. All you have to do is take your L, Dr. King Schultz, and move along. Django's a free man. Broomhilda is a free woman. And obviously, you're, you as a white man have been free.
1: And that was the plan.
0: That was the plan. Yeah. So, so here's where the pride and ego and his decisions asked to play white savior hurt Jamie Foxx yeah. hurt Django Unchained Unchained Django, Django Freeman un- <laughs> and uh um, yeah so uh Mansoor Candy says you got to shake my hand you know what I'm saying
1: that's not a done deal it's not a done say deal say until hand. you shake my
0: hands and King Schultz is like yeah not gonna do that because I don't really care to shake your hand but He said, if I don't shake your hand, (laughs) you're going to not take the $10,000? I don't think so. So just give me the papers and, you know, to you, good day. And they're going back and forth about a handshake.
1: A handshake.
0: Yes, right? And I think you're an abysmal winner, right? Like, this is just ego playing back and forth. Absolutely. Of, you got to shake my hand. I'm not going to shake your hand. You got to shake my hand. I'm not going to do it. Bro, just take your L and your W. The deal's not done until you shake my hand. Don't mean shit until you shake my hand. Okay, Mm -hmm. here in Chickasaw County. Okay, the law is I can do whatever I please with my property, right? True. Um, And so, you know what happens? The best of King Schultz or uh, Monsieur Candy gets the best of Doctor Schultz. Doctor Schultz walks up with his little fancy little contraption in his arm, acts like he's gonna shake his hand, and he shoots Monsieur Candy and kills him. In the chest. In the chest, pow, in and the, he in the in the
1: lapel mm-hmm. flower And then,
0: uh, and then Calvin Candy is his name. I'm sorry, I've been calling him Monster Candy this whole damn time. Calvin Candy, because we get the famous scene right here. Steven runs over and says Calvin, <laughs> and catches him. Right, Steven, mm-hmm. the house slave Samuel L. Jackson catches him and is just rocking him while a fire, a, an onslaught of bullets are just flying mm-hmm. around. You know, in classic Tarantino style, right? Just poof, 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 everything's exploding. And uh, it turns into this huge gunfight. Now there's an issue because Django gets captured. uh, Broomhilda gets captured. They can't access the freedom papers because they were in uh, Calvin's hands. And now Stephen has them now. So now they're pretty Mm -hmm. much slaves again. Now all of them are slaves, right? Mm -hmm. So Dr. Schultz dies in that. Mm -hmm. Before He he apologized to him first. He apologized to Django first. I'm sorry. Couldn't do it. And, um, And he gets shot by Butch with his sawed off shotgun. And so he dies. He gets killed. And now Broomhilda and Django are both now enslaved again. So we're back to square one. All because this white man couldn't swallow his damn pride. And shake a hand. And shake a hand. And walk off the plantation. Because they had planned and, and the plan worked. Like, goodness gracious. Mm-hmm. Um,
1: but to him, the plan didn't work.
0: Exactly. Because he didn't get to, to... To 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 trick him. Right. And it didn't go exactly how it planned. Right. Like, who cared, bro? You still got what you wanted, you know? But it's always that greediness and wanting more. Mm-hmm. And what does that say about white folks now? It's the same shit. It's the same thing. Th- this is like capitalism at its finest. We can even break it down there. You got what you wanted. Why do you need more? Why can't you just take what is out right now? Mm-hmm. Um, but they're they're slaves again. And um, after the fight scene is where they hang Django upside down by his feet, and that's where you see uh, as the white guy in the movie um, said, the movie theater said it. You see his 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 parts, you know, that thing, that thing. You see that thing. As Andrew <laughs> Schultz would say, that thing. Uh, and they're about to cut him off because they would do that, right? They would castrate uh people. Ugh. Yeah, they would get the metal real hot. Mm-mm, I don't need And it. Mm-hmm. snip them things is what I they can say. Imagine. I don't need Okay. It. <laughs> and so they would just really just take the molten hot uh metal. Okay, oh, my bad, my sir. bad. I'm sorry. And right before they do that, so they give you that visual because right before they do that, Steven comes in and says, No, they're gonna sell you to the Laquent Dickey Mine uh Company. And you are gonna break rocks until your back give out and they're gonna crack you in the head or over the head, break your skull, and then throw you in the pit with everybody else. Mm-hmm. And that will be the story of you, Django uh so they do they sell them to the Lequint Dicky mining uh company and on the way and this is where we see quentin tarantino because quentin always makes a cameo in his films
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh quentin is one of the people who is transferring um django to the Lequint Dicky mining service uh, company um django being the bright boy that he is mm-hmm. uh outsmarts them by holding his bounty billfold which king Schultz told him to do you should always hold your first uh, bounty, which he did. And he said, I got a bounty in my pocket. I'm there. The the brittle brothers, they're there, right? Or it wasn't the brittle brothers, it was uh um uh, it was another bounty for another group of people. And mm-hmm. he's like, They back there. I'm they 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 figured me out, they try to sell me away, but it's money on their head, so we can go back, we can kill them. I'll split the money with y'all. I'm a free man. Is he a free man? He's like, Do I talk like a slave? I ain't no slave. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh so he he fools them. Ends up killing them all, freeing the other slaves who were in there who were about to go to the the mining company. Gets on a horse, barebacks all the way back to uh, Candyland. And then now he's on, now Django's on his plan, mm-hmm. right? So the white man's plan didn't work out the same way. Here we go. White savior happened, didn't work out. Put him right back in the same spot that he was. When his original plan was to go fuck shit up in the first place. Mm-hmm. This is what he does this time. He goes in, he's quick gun shooting everybody up, and he sets TNT all throughout the house, dynamite or whatever, and they are, uh, at this time, the rest of the plantation is kind of at Calvin Candy's funeral, and they're singing, in the sweet by and by. I love that song. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Right? Uh, And they come in, and guess who was at the top of the stairs? Who? Old Django. They like, Django back? What's going on? And Django tells the two black women, y'all better run along because it's about to get crazy mm-hmm. here. They say, go ahead, say goodbye to the girl. They said, huh? Say goodbye. They, they waved bye. Django shot her. And she flew off in the back of the room, which would have never happened by, <laughs> by standards of physics, right? right? There's no way that could happen. But it's, it's Quentin Tarantino, so it happens. And then we get, the, we get the moment of Django versus Steven. Steven has been lying about his limp and all this other stuff. Mm -hmm. Django's actually also walking down the stairs, quoting Calvin Candy said a lot of bullshit out of his mouth. Mm -hmm. But there was one thing that he said was right. I am that one and 10,000, 100,000. I am that exceptional Negro. And y'all mess with me. Mm -hmm. And he walked out that house and that house blew up. The Django! Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) That house blew up. With um with him on a horse and Broom Hill on a horse, and you see it blow up in the background, and it was just like a good feeling at the mm-hmm. end, you know? Hey troublemaker, hey big troublemaker. You know what I'm saying? Hey little troublemaker, hey big troublemaker. And he you know the horse doing little tricks, and it's just like a good feeling mm-hmm. moment of like Django got his woman. The black people on there are now going to be at least freed. They can maybe run north. From Candyland. Right, they're free from Candyland. Maybe they can fend themselves, run north, and then, you know, gain their freedom or whatever. Um, That's a lot of things that people didn't know. Let me just, I'm going to say this real quick. So people escaped to go north, right? Do you want to know why there's a lot of black people who settled in Canada? Because at one point, they made it illegal for the people who went north, they made it illegal for them to have slaves or people who were slaves in the north. So people, the white folks who were helping the black folks were now getting in trouble. So the black, the white folks had to return the, the, the freed slaves or the runaway slaves back to the South. Hmm. So people had to go continue to go North and they went to Canada where slavery was completely
1: I didn't know that. Illegal. I also didn't know that there was a lot of black people in Canada. I yes. don't know a lot about Canada actually <laughs> now that we're talking about it. Yes,
0: there, there is plenty of black folk in Canada. Um, but we'll, we'll go, especially like bordering stuff, but we'll oh, go yeah. uh, one we day. We were supposed to go on our honeymoon. We were, but, but that's okay. That was a year Uh, (laughs) ago
1: and we're still in the same predicament. (laughs) And I'm
0: talking more East side, but that's okay. Uh, But yeah, so they went to Canada (laughs) instead of just seeing Northern States because that's what they did in the Northern States and then made them return the people uh, back. So um, hopefully in the storyline, because it feels so good, I'm going to assume that they ended up being freed slaves Mm -hmm. and everything else and Mm -hmm. it was cool. Uh, But that is the story of Django. However, there's a lot of tropes in there. There's a lot of things to talk about. One of them is the uh, the white savior narrative, the white savior complex, which is really a cinematic trope in which like white characters rescue non-white characters from unfortunate circumstances, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it really has to be like this uh, messiah figure, if that makes sense. Like they make them seem like they're like-, like Holy. Holy yeah. and Christ-like. Uh, and that they often learn something about themselves on the course of rescuing like non-white characters from their play, right? Mm-hmm. Um which we see here uh in Django we see Christoph uh, Waltz who plays Dr King Schultz is saving quote unquote saving Django and then and he feels a way about slavery but the way that he wants to be able to rectify it is by helping him get his wife back and in the end he still couldn't even though he learned a lot about himself he still couldn't deliver what the plan was because it really was never about Django. It was always about him. Does that make sense? Right. If it was about Django, he would have shook old buddy hand, but it wasn't, it was never about Django. True. And there are, I feel like plenty of films that have this. You want to just take a stab? I know you, we looked up some, but
1: yeah. So when we started talking about what white savior movies, the first one that came to mind for me was remember the Titans Yes, because it is top five favorite movie for me. But in that you see integration where, you know, um, black people started coming to the white schools and they started integrating and it wasn't accepted. And then you have this football coach who by all means is the best for the position, but wasn't accepted because He's he black. black. Right. And then you have Julius, who is a phenomenal player, but wasn't accepted because he's black. And then the white saviors in this movie are Gary. And then... Um,
0: even You can even throw in there... Uh,
1: Coach Yost. Yeah,
0: Coach Yost. You yeah. can throw him in there too.
1: Yeah. And so they play the part of the white savior Getting everyone to accept these black players and yes. coaches, right? Yes. Because without that, nobody was going to accept them. Right. Nobody was going to give them a chance, even though they obviously right. were the best. And here's
0: the scene where you can see this play out. You remember the let the boys play scene? Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until Coach Yost, who was not the head coach, it wasn't until Coach Yost walked out there and talked to the, the cheating white referees that saved the game for the boys because the white the referee stopped cheating right this was a this is a perfect scene even though it happened like really subtly throughout the entire film for remember the titans that's Mm -hmm. one but i'm sure if we go through a lot of mainstream and here we go back to these definitions when we talk about mainstream black films i'm talking about the crossover black films the ones that got close to close to or won awards they were talked about by the Academy. You probably saw them in theaters. Mm-hmm. They have white saviors. If I say black movies and you say Friday, I'm not talking about that. <laughs> Congratulations to you if you saw Friday. But uh, it's not a lot of white people that have seen Friday. Here's right. the reason why I know that. when Everybody remembers when Bye Felicia
2: mm-hmm. was a
0: huge statement. And I would always ask people, do you know where that came from? And a lot of people would say no. And I say people, I'm talking about white people. Because black people weren't saying bye, Felicia, because we've been saying that.
2: Mm-hmm. So,
0: so I would ask them where it come from. Some people would know it came from the movie Friday. If they did, I would ask them, like, what scene? What happened? Who was Felicia?
1: My biggest thing is when people, you know, when that was a thing, and it was, like, the shirts and the quotes. Yeah. They were like, I don't know who Felicia is, but I want to be her because she's always going somewhere. And right. I'm
0: like, Felicia was a crackhead. A crackhead. Uh, okay. <laughs> was a crackhead trying to survive. Uh, was borrowing everybody's stuff that's why right. they kept telling her bye you know like get up on my face because you always here. trying to buy, yeah. borrow something talking about something let me borrow some ketchup you know or uh, <laughs> let me borrow a toaster or, or or you know whatever bye Felicia exactly get up out of here uh, you know I'm borrow your car real quick you wanna borrow my whole car <laughs> I'm gonna remember that remember it write it down take a picture I don't give a anyway uh-huh. uh, Friday's one of my favorite movies but I'm not talking about Friday it wasn't no white savior in Friday because Friday was a holy black film mm mm-hmm. what about juice i'm not talking about juice juice was a holy black film and we're talking about films where people are going through like this specific really journey where they have to overcome something huge right right those films don't but what about set it off i'm not talking about set it off that was a holy black film i'm talking about the movie and you didn't see none of them if when you watch juice set it off poetic justice uh uh, um uh, boys in the hood stuff like that Minister Society, you weren't watching them in films. Um, I was when I was alive, at least. I mean, alive. When I was, uh, when I was young and, it was, and when I was they alive. were out. Because some of them came out, like, in the 80s. Like, I can't watch that. Um, but y'all weren't watching them in the in the theaters. Mm-hmm. I was watching them in the theaters. Um, but there's very few of them now that are, like, huge that make it really mainstream. Right? Like... What about girl the blind strip, side? The blind side. Okay. That's perfect. How many... How many students, student-athletes, um, kind of went through Michael Orr's story? A lot. I'm just going to mm-hmm. go ahead and tell mm-hmm. you. There is a lot, and I can even see it on this campus right now, especially right. with the NCAA sanctions. There's a lot of people who who play sports, who literally sports is their only lifeline. Mm-hmm. And they are homeless. They don't have, they can't get jobs uh, because of the sanctions and stuff for NCAA. So it's very hard for them to make money, especially if they're a top-tier athlete. right? And coming from broken households or maybe even adopted or not adopted during the system and they need somewhere to stay. And so is Michael Orr's story that uh, unique? It is not. Why was it the only one that was, that was uh, really displayed in the movie theaters?
1: Why? I don't know.
0: White savior it had to be Sandra Bullock, who was the one in this white family that saved yeah. him. When there's plenty of other black families that do the same thing. Right. You can even see this in a new movie that came out about the Clemson player. Right? The Clemson player on Disney. I forgot what it's called. But it's a movie about him. He plays for Clemson and he raised his little brother uh, on campus. And he was trying to sneak his little brother in. But they made the coaches and stuff in there. In and, you know, like really this white savior thing. We had to specifically help him out. But he was doing just fine with his, him keeping his brother in school by sneaking him into the dorms and stuff like that. Uh, but then the NCAA filed and it. it was like, you know, he couldn't do it. And he had kicked off the team or whatever else. Um, but even then, it's still White Savior. So same for Blindside, the Sandra Bullock, the entire thing. And Michael Orr has actually came out and said a lot of the stuff in the movie actually wasn't true. <laughs> so if y'all have not looked that up, look it up. Because Michael Orr was like, I never, I hate that movie. I wish they didn't make that movie because they lied about a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. And they made it very much so like a White Savior film. Uh, so the Blindside definitely won. Um, Black Panther. We can even talk about Black Panther. You said you want to talk about this one. Okay? Because hard to see.
1: Yeah, I don't see it. Okay.
0: (laughs) Okay, here we go. The FBI agent. Is he FBI? CIA? The white guy. I don't know. He's a member of like one of those organizations. Yeah. So you have his role in the movie is that. He goes. They're trying to collar um, Claw, who is the the original villain. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then they kind of run into um, Michael B. Jordan's um, villain, but who is a uh, Killmonger. <clears throat> okay, I couldn't remember his name for a second. So they run into Killmonger, uh, and the running that they have injures the white guy. So the white guy ends up being the person who is infiltrates the. Uh, they bring him in to like heal him. Um, They know about the vibranium. They know about Wakanda. And in a way, they're like talking about how they supply and help supply them or whatever else, right? To help protect them. His character gets like one of the most important roles of, of drawing the people out when he's flying the ship. Remember that? Mm-hmm. Right. So even in that role, okay. they give him a role when they could have just let him, they could have let him die. Right. Right? Why was he even a part of the movie? He didn't really have to be. Think about his character real quick. What purpose did his did, or did his role play? You could have had Black Panther the entire movie with that entire black cast and not had his role in it. True. But there's a reason why they planted him in there, and not as a connection to something else, because we still could have learned about Wakanda through any of the, of the Avenger films or anything else.
2: Because
0: mm-hmm. we learned about Black Panther through a uh, Captain America, right? Right. So was it Civil War. Or was Avengers? Mm-hmm. Anyway, we learn about Black Panther throughout the other movies before we even get to Wakanda, um, as in the film Black Panther. So the white savior doesn't have to be necessarily the main trope, right? The, he doesn't have to be the main character that leads him throughout the entire entirety of the film. Mm-hmm. The role he can play is very minimal, but very important and very impactful. Uh, Freedom Riders, the help, the help's obviously. A big one. Hidden figures. Yeah. Big one. There are some um, discrepancies there, too, that they have talked about in H- in hidden figures. Um, with uh, Kevin Costner playing the role of that. Kevin Costner is the one that's always given the um, the go ahead to these huge moments. As if without Kevin Costner's uh, 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 character, she would not have, Catherine would not have been who she was.
2: Mm-hmm
0: in the rooms and it would not have been as integral of the part. That's not true. She still would have, right? But the movie made it seem as if they needed that person. And and it's not even that there are these huge moments. I don't want y'all to think that the white savior uh, complex is like, they have to be these huge moments. It's that that white people have to be involved in these stories.
1: So let me ask you something. Go ahead. And this is just coming from a, a different perspective. So we talk about white saviors and we talk about white people having to um, interfere with all of these things. And we talk about how these people still would have been great, whether they were quote unquote saved by the white people or not. Mm -hmm. So do you think that these people would have still been as successful if not, if not, helped out because what i'm saying is as white people we obviously have a leg up right and that is the white privilege that we talk about and if we know that people are going to listen to us because we are white would not helping like would helping you i'm not trying to be but i'm not trying to be a white savior it's hard for me to navigate what i'm trying to say because i If I'm trying to help you, I'm not trying to be a white savior. I'm just trying to get people to look at your greatness. I'm trying to get people to see you beyond skin color, right? Right. I'm trying to get people to see you as the scientist that you are. I'm trying to get people to see you as this football player who is built from the ground up. Or, in the case of the blind side, I have the resources to help you. right? So... Why would I not use them? It would be selfish to not use them, you know. Right. So to I just think, let you struggle. So good question. Like, let's let's explain we, that. Yeah,
0: here's how I break that down to you. When I'm talking about white savior complex, I'm talking specifically about films. Okay. Okay. Not to say that it doesn't happen probably on a regular day basis, but there's a difference between allyship, right, and being an ally, okay. and overstepping.
1: Okay. Okay. So now that you say you're talking about films that makes a lot more sense
0: right i'm talking about films so in the films these stories can be completed without the white person being the one to serve the platter
1: okay right that makes more sense let <laughs> me give you an
0: example like i said earlier michael Orr's story is not is not it's not unique there are plenty of people who have been helped by other people why did it have to be the white family why did they choose the white family
1: because that's what would draw in the audience.
0: Why that's what's palatable, right? right? White people saving black people. That's what has always been a trope, that black people can't f- save themselves, mm-hmm. right? Is it in sentiment, at least? When you think about Catherine's figure and hidden figures and everything, Catherine was the one with the brain.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Catherine was the one that came out with the numbers. Even if Catherine never made it into the room or whatever, her work still would have been shown because they were using it in, in the papers and everything else even if they're scratching off the names, at some point the historical accuracy would have been placed back for Catherine. She's the brains behind it. She's the one who did it. Mm-hmm. She's the inventor. She's this, she's that to depict it in the movie as if she didn't get her foot in the door until Kevin Koshner was the one placing her in these places is not true. She's the one who went to night school. She's the one who sacrificed, uh, Time and stuff for her family. She's the one who had to run across campus just to go to the restroom. All this other stuff, and it wasn't until Kevin Costner came and knocked down and said, so "We all pee the same color." You know, like
2: mm-hmm.
0: why couldn't that have been her? Right? Did Kevin costner's Did somebody actually do that? Maybe if they're trying to be historically, right. you know, accurate. But we don't know that. But even in film, it could have it could have been her. She could have been willing to knock it down. Like we all pee colors, the same color. We all pee colors. Ooh, all some pee cool. people clear. Some people red. <laughs> if your pee is red, go to the doctor. Um with oh we already talked about the blind side but my point being even with remember the titans that moment where he goes onto the field and he talks to the ref like stop cheating these boys
2: mm-hmm.
0: white man white man stop cheating these boys would it be okay if they lost it's okay if they lost the story is about the story right it's about these black people and these white people coming together That's true. and fighting and winning or or playing hard and making a statement make them remember the night they they played the titans mm-hmm. right where they are just cracking these dudes' heads. That's the story. That's Was true. it important that they won? No. Why did it take – we saw that the black coach was fighting on their behalf every play.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: He's, he's off-size. He's lining up off-size. Right? Mm-hmm. We've seen Denzel Washington's character is fighting for his players, mm-hmm. black and white. Why did it take Coach Yost's character to be the one who saved him from the situation? Didn't have to. You didn't even have to save him. You could just let it be what it was. We still understood the story. So, in cinema, it's those things in cinema. It is, we'll talk about this even with the movie Soul is that when it comes to black cinema, especially when it comes to crossovers, there's typically either a white savior or they make black people like animals or not human figurines. If you have not watched Disney Soul, that is like one of the critiques that everybody says. He's a black man for like two seconds in the film, okay, in Soul. He dies very early <laughs> and That's for the true. rest of the movie, he's like this ghostly figurine mm-hmm. who by all means, you can tell by his style, the way he wears his hat and the way that he talks, he's a black man, right? But guess who his counterpart is the whole damn movie who ends up kind of teaching him a lesson? This white woman, this little white girl. So it's the same thing there. And people talk about even Coco, right? I'm, have you seen Coco?
2: Mm-mm.
0: But it's always people of color. So we talk about black, but we talk about people of color as well for some reason in these huge crossover movies, either have to have a white savior or they have to be like these non-human figurines or they have to be animals.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: My thing is that they probably tr- think that it's more palatable for white folks. The only way we're going to get international, right? Because they think about that too. The only way we can get international support is if we don't show these black folks too many too many times, which is why they took off. Um, do you remember the movie, uh, I think it's called Couples Retreat? Mm-hmm love that movie yeah. remember Faison Love is in that movie yeah in the international posters they took him and his girlfriend off the posters really yes I didn't know that Yeah, he filed a lawsuit It is here recently they filed a lawsuit he recently filed it hmm. but maybe a couple months ago on Love filed a lawsuit against um, whoever was a production uh, company Um, like Warner Brother, I think but yeah they took him off the international poster and then they said it was a mistake you're not you didn't what Why wouldn't you use the same poster? It wasn't a mistake. You know what you did, because they kept doing it, they didn't really change it either. You looking it up?
1: I see it now. Yeah. Yeah, what does it say? Um, it's just the pictures. It's just the And he's not on there. Right. It's the uh the US version versus the international version. International version. version. And it's the same exact picture. They just just cropped him out. Straight cropped
0: out him. And even in the US even in the US picture, where is he at in relation to everybody else? He's in the back.
1: You can barely see them, yeah.
0: And people really want to believe that race does not play a part in the things that we see every single day. They do it in Hollywood. Name one hit crossover film that doesn't have the either the white savior complex or the person who is not like a like a, a human figurine. Crickets. It's hard. <laughs> it is hard. The only thing I could think of maybe is like just a story of a black man really is, even if you get into uh, Will Smith movies, right? Somebody's going to say the pursuit of happiness. Not true. There's white saviors in that movie. So people are going to say seven pounds. That, that one maybe I'll give you. Seven pounds is about a man who knew he was about to die and he wanted to give away some of his organs and stuff mm-hmm. uh, to these people. Uh, great phenomenal film, but it's just tough to see that. And we see that and we know that. Which is why you will see, which is why we need black representation in films, so they can tell black stories that don't have white folk in them. And when I say that, it's because typically when they put white folk in them, they put them as like a savior, Mm -hmm. and not just as like an ally or a friend or something like that. Which is why I love like a Queen and Slim, right? Even though Queen and Slim could have been better done film, and the downfall of Queen and Slim was you know a black person snitched on them, like the one person you think would not snitch Mm -hmm. on them, Uh, but that's, that's real in our culture, right? We have black people who are going to do that, who are going to bring us down and stuff like that. Um, but that's why we love stuff like that. We love to see, I love how tasteful Jordan Peele does it. Jordan Peele tells black stories into where white people may be the antagonist instead of the protagonist, or if they are in the film, they somewhat sometimes play a true ally and they're not saving the day. It, when I watch Jordan Peele films, I feel like Nobody had to save this black family. They right. did it themselves. Right. I feel that too. Right. Like with Get Out, he saved himself
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, b- by his own smarts right. and his own wits. Right. And his homeboy who was black, TSA, helped find him. Mm-hmm. Right. Like it was, there was nobody, there was no white savior in that film. They just played the antagonist. Um, so shout out to Jordan Peele for doing that. There's a lot of other people. Ryan cooler's pretty good. Um, all his other stuff but you know now he's directing movies for like big wigs like uh disney and marvel and stuff like that so i'm sure they play a role in who he gets to assign as like casting and what roles he and what stories he's telling um but yeah i mean that's just a crazy thing but let me ask you a question okay specifically you being a white woman who uh grew up in a white woman who grew up in Ma'am, I'm going to need you to stop tapping the mic. (laughs) I'm sorry. (laughs) Uh, I got to get you one of these. I know. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, somebody who grew up in East Texas, around a lot of white folks, you around black people too, but not a lot. Mm -hmm. But you have black friends. Mm -hmm. Um, You're married to a black man. You are accepted into my family. So I'm going to ask you a question. Have you, what does it mean to you to be an ally in Black culture?
1: To me, being an ally means being someone that can listen first, because I think it's important to listen to what you want in an ally. So if I ask you, what can I do in this situation? Or what would you like me to do in this situation? Because I feel like, well, first, let me ask you, what do you. Uh huh. Uh huh. I want to know no, I mean, what do you what do you see as an ally? what do you think an ally is? Who do you think an ally is? Because to me, being an ally means listening to you, standing up for you, but not overshadowing you.
0: Okay, that's what I yeah. Thank you for that. That's that's, that's a, not the an answer that I wanted, but I wanted to hear your perspective on what you believe it means to be an ally for somebody. Uh, for me. Not what I'm necessarily looking for in an ally, but I can be an ally for things that I'm not, right? right. Meaning I'm a man uh, who loves to, uh, I consider myself a, a feminist, which really just means the equality for for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I try my best to be an ally for women. Um, I know that in my past, I have not always been the best ally for women. Um, and I know that <laughs> even going forward, sometimes... Even my understanding, with my understanding now, sometimes it's not my place to try to uh, insert myself into that situation, Mm -hmm. right? Some things are just for women, and ain't my business. Right. Okay. That's a good point. I Um, like that. And so that's what I mean. That's what I think it means to be an ally is that if you truly understand, you do your own research, you um, will ask certain questions, you will ask to intervene. I don't just intervene in people's business. Right. I will ask if I can. Can I do this for you? Can I help you with this? Would you w- Would you mind if I reached out on your behalf? I ask those things first before I just serve. Right. Because I think when you just serve, you open up the opportunity to overstep, to overshadow. You make it more about you than you make it about the other person. Does that make sense?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, so, yeah, I ask. I research. I learn. I ask. That's how I be an ally. I'm not afraid to say, I don't know. I'm not afraid to ask. I'm not also afraid to be told that it's not somebody else's job to educate me, right? Because people feel a certain way about that. So if I'm asking somebody in the LGBTQ community a a question that I really honestly don't know, and their response to me is, it's not my job to teach you. I'm okay with that.
1: Right. I was going to bring that up as well because um, here at the university, we obviously offer an ally training for LGBTQ+. So you don't have to be the, um, like, you don't have to know it all, right? It's learning. It's being open to learn. It's being open to being corrected. If I misspeak, it's open to getting that feedback and learning and building from that.
0: It's continual. Yeah, It's not, it's a contract. If you decide to be an ally, uh, shout out to uh, my friend Bianca she talked about this other night and if you are it's a decision you make mm-hmm. and you in a life you live
2: mm-hmm.
0: you decide to be an ally it's something you're going to be doing and living for the rest of your life right okay uh for whatever group you are allying for so yeah i don't feel away way if people tell me it's not my job to educate you that's fine i ask because i don't want to be like i can't I haven't found like a really good answer. So I want to get just like, like, like maybe your answer, or somebody else's answer. And if they feel like I'm just too exhausted to to give you this information, I don't feel like I need to educate you. That's fine because that's, it's a privilege for me to be even able to ask you that. And I understand that. And I know some people get upset about that. I'm an educator. And so I tend to lean more on the other side. If you ask me any question, I'm willing to sit and talk with you, you know, as as. As long as I know your intentions are truly about learning. Once I get to the the if I'm able to discern that you're just trying to like either argue or or debate my other side, I don't care to because what you engaged with me for was not the intention was not intended for what I thought it was. So, yeah, like that that's me as an ally. I'm going to listen, I'm going to learn, I'm going to research myself and I'm going to ask before I intervene. Right. Right. Um, I had a question for you. I think this was a good question. So I wanted to ask you. I think a lot of, and this kind of goes a little bit off topic, but it is what it is. Um, I think I've, I've heard plenty of times before, like I don't see color. Mm -hmm. I hate that phrase, but I'm going to ask you, have you ever said that if you did and you have stopped saying it, when did you stop and why?
1: Yeah, I, I, I definitely think that I thought – I don't know if I ever, you know, came out and said that. I believe that I probably did um, back when I was, like, in high school. Right. Right. So when I was younger, when I was – when I hadn't branched out of my small community yet, and I just kind of, like, had that mindset of where when I said I don't see color, I meant I'm not discriminating against you because of your color. I'm not – prejudging you based on your color and so that's what I meant by that but then as I got older and I got out of my hometown and I started being around people that grew up in very different and and when I say I got out of my hometown I'm not bashing anybody that lives there I'm not saying that that was a bad place to grow up anything like that I'm just saying people that grew up in the city are completely different than people that grew up in a small town, right? Mm -hmm. So when I went to college and majority of the people I was around were from the Dallas-Fort Worth metropolitan area, their way of life and the way that they perceive things was completely different than where I grew up. So when I got around other people and heard from them and I don't think I ever said anything like that in college, but I mean, I definitely probably said things in college that I shouldn't have. Um, but I learned I was corrected. Like, yo, you can't say that. Okay, cool. Sorry. Won't say it again. Or that that's not the way to look at it because now you are, um, dismissing everything that comes with color. Right. Right. And so I think that that's where I learned is just from being around black people and being in, like, integrated into that culture and seeing that when, and, and all minorities, really, when saying I don't see color, that's dismissing everything that comes with The color, because if I say I don't see color that I'm saying that I don't see the systemic racism that is constantly against people of color. I'm saying that I am blind to the fact that there are things that keep you down. Like, yes, we and and something that bothers me is that when people say, well, we all have the same opportunities, Mm -hmm. that is not true. We all have the same 24 hours. We all have the opportunity to go get a job. We all have the opportunity to work hard and buy a house. We all have this. Not true. Do we all have that opportunity? Yes. Does that opportunity look the same? No. No. Absolutely not. Because how easy is it for you to go buy a house when you don't have any student loan debt, you don't have any medical debt because you have medical insurance, because you're on your parents' medical insurance, or you don't have any student loan debt because your parents were able to help you throughout college or you had the resources in high school to get the grades, to get the scholarships. Like it all starts right. from somewhere. Right. And so, and that goes back even to, and and this is the part of systemic racism that people don't see. And people, I think now like to say, people like to throw out the word racism. Everything's racist. Systemic racism has been going on and
0: so yes everything is
1: (laughs) I mean really when you think about it because black black people have never been equal separate but equal there is nothing equal you even think back to the segregation of schools right what did those schools have what what did the white schools have compared to the black schools.
0: Yes. And how did they integrate into today? And that's the thing. You can. There's actually a couple of TikToks that literally are dedicated to this um, about a, a lot of the procedures and stuff that we still do today, you can trace them back to racist past. Do you want to know why? And it's really not like really surprising when you think about it. The country was founded on racism. Right. So it's not surprising that the thing, the products that came from it was racist. Uh-huh. And it's still things that we have today, which is why... You know, I don't, when people, just to be completely vulnerable, people who are too patriotic scare me. And here's why it scares me. Because they, to me, it it seems that they are married to like an older ideal. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And all of those ideals are stemmed in slavery. Right. So, and and I know y'all know what I mean by too patriotic. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'll put it like this. Why do you have a flag flying out, your? the back of your truck flying out the back of your truck not like oh you got a flag sticker and everything else and like the huge flags that fly at the back of your truck it's a little too patriotic for me okay i feel a certain way it's a little od that's a little od because you didn't have to go to od okay. and i get why you love your country here's the thing i love america too
1: mm-hmm. and because you love america you I think want that it we to can be do better, right i
0: want it to be better for exactly. myself and everybody exactly um and so not to say that flying a flag is is un, racist. Is, is racist. No, it's not. And, and it, honestly, if you love it, you love it. I'm just trying to tell you how it makes me feel when I talk to people who are so like nothing should change. Our founding fathers. Our founding fathers. Our founding fathers were racist. Right. They owned slaves. And they're not the smartest people in the world. Right. Why are we acting like the people who founded this country Nobody else can be ever smarter than them. As if things don't change, and pe- as we come along,
1: I was about to say things look at that how much happen. We have evolved. Thank you. Yeah,
0: people evolve, things change, so we kind of need to go back and say, you know what? Back in the day, this this worked. Today, it doesn't really work, I mean, right?
1: And you even can see that in the Bible with the Old Testament versus New Testament. The, yes,
0: like in, in everything. It's not even just the Bible. Literally in everything, stuff changes. The only consonants really are certain laws. Of 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 science and things of that nature, um, but everything when when it, when it when it refers to humans is is evolving and it's always changing. Which means we, which means we need to as well. And so all of that to say, I I to to bring it back to the I don't see color. It is very dismissive. The reason why it is is because we don't see and black people get this all the time. We don't see any nobody says i don't see gender hmm. right nobody says i don't see anything else it's always i don't see color which was the same when it came to when it comes to all
2: lives all matter, lives matter.
0: Yeah. or yesterday we saw a flag that said police lives matter everything is always in response to black folks why you were never saying this before oh, i don't see color okay cool you don't see color but that's a lot Let me tell you why when something happens, if you, if it was a black man who did it, when the police ask you, what did he look like? What did she look like? What did they look like? Um, they were they seemed tall. I, I thought you need to see height. Um, they were fat. Do you see body type? You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. You do see color, and within my color, first off, I'm black. I'm proud to be black, and you should be proud to be white. You should be proud to be Hispanic. You should be proud to be whatever you are. Because what happens is the things that came out of my blackness in my culture make me proud. Mm-hmm. There are also things that come out of my black culture that don't, do not make me proud, but I'm going to accept that and not subscribe to that. Right. So it's hard for black people, especially me, but it's hard sometimes for me to see people that when they say stuff like, well, you weren't a slave. Your grandmother wasn't a slave. Okay. Okay. I posted something on my Instagram not too long ago about somebody being denied admission into a school. Emory College. It was Emory College, Emory University. On the basis that they were black. This letter, this denial was in 1959. My dad was born in 1954. Okay, this isn't too long ago. But also, why do we not take the, subscribe to the same thing for people who are in the military? What do you mean? So... I didn't mean to put my hand up to you like that, but like we we on a we on a right track path. You will say to me that I can't be upset, I can't benefit, I can't march on behalf of people who I don't have slaves in my life. I can't hold you accountable. I can't have pride. I can't have anger. I can't have feelings because I didn't have people who are still alive today as slaves, right? Mm-hmm. But you will. You will. Wrap yourself in the American flag for your granddaddy's granddaddy who fought in World War I. You don't have nobody in your family right now who is alive, who fought in a war or, or served this country. And it's okay for you to be patriotic. It's okay for you to say that. It's okay for you to say, well, I, sir, I love this country because my, my grandfather's dad, my great granddaddy and his daddy and his dad before him all served this country. Well, did your dad know? Did his dad know? Are you? No. Is your sister? No. Is your mom? No. Anybody in their family alive right now? No. But I can't go down my lineage. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? That's a good point. It's a du- the, the the double standard. You can't have it one way and not have it the other. Right. So...
1: It's also funny that people are so obsessed with genealogy right now.
0: Yes, I don't understand I want to know where
1: I came from. Right. Okay, but you don't like immigrants? Yeah,
0: right. Because if you... Sus. Exactly. You're going to put it on there and... Yeah. And you know what I saw the other day? (laughs) That was pretty interesting. Uh, I like to follow a lot of Dr. Umar pages because I think Dr. Umar is hilarious. Not that I subscribe to like half the stuff that he says. But... He don't uh, like you. Obviously, (laughs) he don't like me because I'm married to a white woman. Uh, But... (laughs) This is a black man. And, and uh, one of the things he said that was very important, black people aren't immigrants. At least the, the, the descendants of slaves from this country, not immigrants, were imports.
2: Mm.
0: I was like, that just blew my mind. Yeah. Blew my mind. That's true. Right. But for everybody else, for a lot of the people, not everybody else, you are immigrants. Your family are immigrants. You should be proud of that as well. They probably got away from a situation that was very bad to come to a place that had hope and promise, which is America. Yet, and we can get on Fled Cruz's ass real quick. <sighs>
1: Fled Cruz. Fled Cruz.
0: <laughs> j- j- just can we fathom this for a second?
1: That uh, boy said, I'm going to Mexico to give my kids. This a better man
0: life. <laughs> is in Texas. A senator for Texas. Tejas. Which the majority of Texas was Mexico. Mm-hmm. There is a bunch of Mexicans who live in Texas. Mexican culture is as Texas culture is and can be. Right. Okay. You cannot be in Texas without there being Mexican culture. Mm -hmm. It is impossible. It is a reason why you love Texas. Okay. Shout out to all my Mexican folks. Tex-Mex. It is ingrained in the culture of Texas because it was Mexico. And so you have somebody who is supportive of border walls and everything else and people who are not trying to immigrate quote unquote properly even though the the way to do it is extremely hard and tough, uh, and I can tell you that firsthand, it is not easy to properly become an American citizen mm-hmm. when you're immigrating. You have somebody who is who subscribed to all of the the, the 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 Trump rhetoric when it comes to cracking down on all of that. Who at the the biggest time of need for his state, they're going through in a national emergency right now. The biggest time of need took his family in the middle of the night. Because he could do it any time. But he chose a flight in the middle of the night to go to Mexico.
1: Cancun.
0: Then tried to come back and say, oh, I was just dropping them off. And I was going to come back.
1: No, no, no. Then he came out and said. Then he came
0: out and said. Well, we had been in a house cold for two days. It was very cold below, you know, in the teens and the 20s. And it was really, it was just really cold. And my daughter said, hey, you know, um, school's been out and um, and we really just want to, we we should just go to Mexico. We don't have anything else to do. So, yeah, you know, I admit that was maybe a mistake and da-da-da-da, but, you know, what would you do? <laughs> what would we do? Excuse me, sir. Everybody in Texas feel the same way. If, if everybody had the means to pack up, here's where we go with privilege. If everybody had the means to pack up and fly their ass to Cancun to warmer weather during the, t- during the time of what was going on last week, and even now, they would have done it, bro. Cancun would have been the most populated uh place in a short span of time ever. Mm-hmm. Everybody would have did it. You're supposed to be representing your people. You're supposed to be helping your people out in whatever way that you can. And you left. Talking about I was going to re- work remotely. This ain't the time for you to be remote, bro. This the time for you to bring your ass home. Let's go. We got to go to work. But you left? You fled? Didn't going to blame it on your daughters? Bro, everybody's kids was cold. Mm
1: -hmm. People were dying. People were
0: dying. People's kids was dying.
1: People were dying of carbon monoxide poisoning because they were trying to stay warm by sleeping in their cars.
0: Bro, if you still, at this moment... And I know how you feel. This is my own personal judgment. I question you if you still support Ted Cruz. Beyond anything else that he has ever did and said. But beyond the fact that Donald Trump was talking shit about his wife and he still buddied up to her, to him. And backtracked on all the stuff he said about Donald Trump. Beyond all of that, whatever, I don't care. You have somebody who's supposed to represent you. When you look at your politicians who you you put in place, you, you put their vote there. You put your vote there, you use your voice, your power to put them in place. In your biggest time of need, in your state's biggest time of needs, in your brethren's biggest time of needs, he took not only himself, his family, and asked their friends. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Let's let's just go to Mexico real quick.
1: To the Four Seasons.
0: To the to the place that he doesn't even want people coming from.
1: I yeah, I think for me the biggest thing, and this is whether. You, no matter what party you find yourself on for somebody that you elected an elected official that is supposed to be the voice of your state that is supposed to be the representation of the people from your state to flee when times get hard
0: you still supporting him I'm looking at you weird that's just that's just me he can't come back from this for me there's no coming back from this. And, and everybody it was in, that's
1: like, oh yeah, you act like you wouldn't go to Cancun if you didn't have the means to. Not be.
0: if I was Ted Cruz.
1: If you're, a, you are literally elected to be the representation of your country, yes. or of your state. Like the, that is your
0: this position. Is, you know what this is? This is the, he should be, this is the captain of the, the, the ship that got turned over in the, I think it was the Mediterranean, where he left his people on board. Bro, I'm telling you right now, same situation, my family, me, my family, me, we're going to thug it out. We're going to find a way to help our people so that we can all be good. Mm -hmm. Because I am not, I'm a public servant. My job is to serve the public.
1: Mattress Mac for Senator.
0: (laughs) Right. My job (laughs) is to serve the public. In that time when my daughters look at me and say, we're cold. Can we go somewhere warm? This is the perfect time for me to say, sweetheart, I know it's cold. We have we have means to where we can help people. And this this is our this is my job. And what we're going to do is we're going to take our means and we're going to help everybody else. You want to know why, sweetheart? Because you're not the only person out here that's cold. We are all cold Mm -hmm. and we are one. We are Texans. We are Americans. And we are going through something right now. This is time for us not to flee our people, to be with our people and to help our people. That's what I tell my daughter in this moment. I don't tell them leave. If I wanted my daughters and them to leave before, because the cool thing about weather is that it's forecasted, okay? If I want them to leave before, I send them out before.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I stay, I send them out before. But if we in the storm, and even if, I, don't, I, I, I honestly still don't even think that the optics would be even too bad. Like I wouldn't knock, I wouldn't knock Ted Cruz, for sending his family and not himself right bro you went that's where that's where it gets dicey bro
1: and the only reason you came back is because you. Got it's caught. because
0: people was on your head top mm-hmm. and you oh yeah it was a mistake yeah it was a mistake bro and you should have had a lot of foresight in that and your people around you you won't have good people in your circle because the people around you should have let you know somebody should have said hey, bro you better take them to the airport (laughs) and drop them off and bring your ass back because it's not going to look good. If you go to Mexico and they find out Mm -hmm. and they're going to find out anyway, I'm going to get off fled Cruz ass. Um, But (laughs) honestly, think about that situation because this person is somebody who was elected to be where he is, who is supposed to be serving you in the state of Texas. And he, he, he left his people. If you are Texan, he left you. Whether you agree with him or disagree with him or whatever, he left you. He had the means to do it when you didn't, and he left you. B- bottom line. Anyway.
1: So I have a question for you. Yes. Um, We were talking about allyship and what it means to be an ally. Ain't it. Do you, is, is there a time where you think that allyship becomes like a white savior complex? Because I have my own thoughts on it, but I want to hear from you what you think as a black man
0: um when like white people try to overstep sometimes yeah
1: when allyship becomes more than allyship
0: yeah i think that's when they overstep and it's because and they do it with good intentions for the most part but it's it's when you are not asking me if i if i needed your help you just did it for me Mm -hmm. oh i thought i was doing you a favor Ding, ding 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 that's the issue you thought mm-hmm. you were doing me a favor i didn't need you to do me that favor i could have did that myself what i may need help with is something in a different area
1: do you have any examples
0: um i got a couple i don't know if i want to blast it at the moment maybe when i turn like 50 if i have like a, a <laughs> book or something um i have a I have a couple of moments but
1: well do you have any th- examples that aren't like personal just like things um that are have happened in the world
0: okay here's a here's a um here's a here's a here's a an example that is um <laughs> okay previous job um no nah, i'm not gonna use that one i'll use something more general so check this out there are plenty of times where like a a, a dance will come out you know the whip and a or something mm-hmm. you know a TikTok dance or something some sort of some sort of this is evidently a black culture dance mm-hmm. and i obviously around a lot of white folks and their immediate response is to ask me oh can you teach us how to do that dance or can you teach us how to do this or your intentions were kind of good like i get it i understand what you're why you're asking me because it is like a black thing um but also the fact that like that you asked me, is also, it's a double-edged kind of sword. Mm-hmm. So you want to be able to not, like, step across my toes. But here's the thing. You don't have to learn to dance from a black person to learn to dance. It's a dance. Mm-hmm. You could ask anybody. Maybe there's right. a white person who knows how to do this dance. But the fact that you asked me, you did it, like, in a professional setting. Or, what does this mean? Or, hey, I kind of like this song. Do you, like, you know, know this song? Or, oh, we threw a party for you, right? And, ooh, we threw a program. That was about Black History Month, and we slapped together some fried chicken and watermelon. You you overstepped. First off, you didn't have to throw this program for me. You didn't have to throw this program at all. On top of that, I know why you're doing it, because you wanted to bring light to the cultures in the hall in Black History Month, but then you went and got fried chicken and watermelon, which is like...
1: Like that's the only thing in a black person's diet. Thank you.
0: Like I don't like Chinese food. Like I love uh, Chinese food. Right. Could we not have have had that? Why was it fried chicken and watermelon? Like it's, it's... your
1: favorite thing to eat is grilled chicken. <laughs>
0: yes, thank you. Um, and fajita vegetables. <laughs> and fajita vegetables <laughs> like that's my thing. I don't know why. Um, and fish, but we like our palate isn't as wide as everybody else's. So my point is that I think there's times where you know that was good. It was done in good intentions, and there was times And there's times where you think you're being an ally and I, I can even do this for women, you know, like, or anybody else where I'm like, I'm going to do this. Cause like, um, like even like opening a door, right, mm-hmm. right. Like you can open a door for somebody and they'll be like, I didn't need you to open a door. I can do that by myself. Right. And I get that. Like, which is why sometimes when I'm get around people, unless it's like a huge crowd, if it's a huge crowd and I just walk through, and I'm just holding the door open. That's cool. Uh, but I will, if you haven't noticed, I will preface that for other people. I'll say like, oh, let me get that door for you. Or let me, can I grab this for you? And then I will gauge their response on whether or not I do it. If I say, let me get that door for you, or, can I grab that door? And they don't respond, they don't do nothing, I don't touch the door. If they're like, oh, oh, thank you. Then, you know, if they're welcoming to it, then I'll do it. So that's me, again, asking for permission to intervene. I don't just intervene. With the lady the other day, she got stuck on the ice with the, uh, the her mail cart. I went to the window. Would you like for me to help you and push you out? Yes, please. Okay, boom. I could have just got behind the car like, hey, put, press the gas. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And just mm-hmm. did it. But no, I'm on the window first and, and ask because you never know how somebody is. This was a, a, a younger woman. She could have probably figured her way out of that. I wanted to help her out though because maybe that would have helped her and it did. And she asked for it after, I mean, she accepted after I asked. But the point is just to ask before you do it. So I think at times when it becomes into that white savior or they overstepping is you didn't ask. It became more about you and what you were going to put on and, and everything else. Or another example of this without race, it has to be like, if I don't like birthdays, right? (laughs) I'm going to use this example. And I've been telling you, I don't like birthdays. Like I actually really kind of hate my birthdays and you throw me a big party. I know you're trying to celebrate my birthday, but you're overstepping by doing something that I've already told you I don't need.
1: I threw him a 30th birthday party.
0: Shots fired. No, no, no. I'm not talking about you. That was great. That was great. And you know how I feel about my birthday. And I really do appreciate it in that moment. And there was people there. If there was, some, if there was a birthday party that I wanted, it was that one. It was people who I cared about there. It was very small, very intimate. It was fun. You did a phenomenal job. I am really appreciative of that. Um, but I'm just saying, in general, sometimes what we do is we do stuff that we think is helping the other person, but we're really just doing it for ourselves. We're doing it to sell ourselves, to say, oh, we did this for this person. It made us feel good. Mm -hmm. It makes me feel good, but I'm giving you a gift. But if you tell me don't give you a gift and I give you a gift, I'm really an asshole. So that's where I think kind of allyship crosses over.
1: So my example of this, and I see it a lot, is that when allyship becomes like a white savior complex is when, like you said, people overstep. So... What I have seen in the past year, especially this summer with all of the protests and George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter protests, is that the loudest ones were the white people. Yes. And I see that because when I was reading The New Jim Crow, I was angry. There were parts of me that I felt like I needed to do something, right? Like, I need to run for an office. That way I can really make a change, right? Because I'm so fired up. I'm so angry. And I asked you, I was like, does this not make you mad? And you said, yeah, it does. But I've been living with that for 29 years. You know, like I've been mad about it for 29 years. You kind of get used to it when your anger doesn't create anything, when, you're, when you don't make progress. So I think that what we're seeing now is that people that see themselves as allies because I I don't necessarily think that you get to name yourself an ally. You yeah. can say, my goal, my intention is to be an ally for you, but only you can decide whether I'm an ally or not, right? Right. At least that's how I see it. Well,
0: to you. You can still, like, I think, I think you can still advocate on behalf of a certain group of people, but that doesn't mean you can be an ally to one specific person. You right. know what I mean?
1: right. So, when you see the people who are the most mad over George Floyd and the people that are putting on these and and for example, theatrics Theatrics, yes, like a front, right? Everybody's saying this is performative activism. this is you, you, things like that. That's where it becomes too much. But what I did like is. Here in Stillwater, we had a protest, and it was, the the thought of having it in Stillwater was created by a high school girl at, you know, here in town, and it was, it was her idea to have it, but she did not take ownership of it. She said, I think we should have this, and I am going to get other people involved to make it what it is. So she did not even, you know, they asked her to speak at the, um, at the protest and she didn't speak. She gave it to other people, right? So she gave it to, um, the black student association here at OSU to go speak. She gave it to a black preacher to come and speak because it was not her place to speak. All she wanted to do was create something. So I, to me, that's the definition of an ally, seeing her do that, right? So it was her idea. She wanted to put it into action, but she gathered all of these people for their voices to be heard because what she's saying doesn't matter,
0: mm-hmm. you know? Right. Well, I think it matters, but I think that, that she, in that moment, well, recognized that she didn't matters, want to turn but into Ultimately, her, yeah. Right. She didn't want to turn into the, the, she didn't want to have the white savior complex. She right. didn't want it to be about her. She just was like- Right. And, and Stillwater is predominantly white. And this was also over the summer. So it was just a lot of white people here, not a lot of black people. And at this time, um, you know, as it is not happening directly in our community. So we're not actually like, um, you know, retroactively or reactively protesting. It just that was a lot to get black people to just come together and protest in Stillwater. Right. Cause there's a lot of stuff going on. So for her to set that up, I think was very uh, noble and great. And then allowing the space for people who have been experiencing that um, was amazing. I mean, mm-hmm. there were some white people that got up there and talked and stuff like that. Right. So it wasn't just like a black event. Right. Uh, it was just an event about coming together uh, and recognizing it. And here was a, the, it was kind of weird, but this was also kind of cool. It was in front of, and like on the steps of the police station. Mm-hmm. And of course there was a lot of, um, <clears throat> there was a lot of rhetoric of, of, of reforming the institution of policing, Um which, also starts and has a very racist beginning but um and so i'm sure that was like a little you know there's some some dissonance there and it was a little weird because they had like people on the roof and like, like come on bro yeah, like snipers mm, yeah I mean, yeah <laughs> ain't finna pop off like that in still water right and the only guy that was even doing anything was like this random white guy guy. with a long rifle walking around saying, I'm protecting businesses. Like, bro, nobody hired you. Then he was, that's what he was telling people. Nobody hired you.
1: If y'all want to know what this man, what this guy, he was like young twenties, what he looked like. He looked like he was storming the Capitol.
0: Yes. Uh, (laughs) If you could, uh, everything you saw, everything you saw uh, during the insurrection, that was him. He could have been there. Matter of fact, I wouldn't be surprised if he was, um, but yeah, like it just that was the thing. And you and that was the funny part cuz you had like other white business owners like, "Bro, we don't need you protecting mm-hmm. our, this you know, it's a Stillwater. St- Stillwater, bro. We have a great community. We are not afraid of. I'm sure there are some people who are afraid of some black people here, but for the most part, everybody's very friendly, which is why we chose Stillwater as a place that we can live. It's like is there racism here? Yeah, but for the most part, people are friendly and and stuff like that. So, mm-hmm. we don't really have a an issue of police like overstepping their boundaries when specifically it comes to race issues right uh but we still feel a part of that because we have people from everywhere so people aren't just born in still mm-hmm. water and it still technically happens here right. but it's not like on a larger scale so anyway that was cool allyship is very important i don't think you have to i don't think everybody's born to be an ally i don't think you have to be an ally and that's cool um i do think that is very important to have Allies on every side, because that's how we are able to come together. Mm-hmm. It's going to take, um it's going for for women. It's going to take people of other genders to be able to say, "I recognize a flaw in my gender historically, and how can I change myself, and how can I offer aid to you, to 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 help you progress." It's going to take some white people and other people to understand the flaws, and uh, not the flaws, but the 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 history and the vitriol in the black community and to be able to say I recognize my flaws I recognize my partner's history what can I do to 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 going forward help you with with the privileges that I have
2: mm-hmm.
0: uh, so that is true allyship action lifelong so I hope you dive into it because I think that's how we make a better America um, I think that's how we become better citizens is that we fight for each other each other's each other and that we don't turn into fled crews we we stay as as our loving compassionate humans and when the going gets tough the tough get going and we band together we don't leave each other this is a very long episode it's a very long we really do appreciate you for staying and listening this whole time um we'll give you a special treat since you stayed and listened this whole time you know what the special treat is what's up that you should should go treat yourself at like sonic or you know aspen or you know whatever you get your special drink from or or anything and if you have the means you say man i also want to treat this podcast with
1: <laughs> that ain't treating them
0: oh, no no no, no I'm just messing listen uh, we are self-funded and we love uh when we see the dollars roll in uh, so we can stack them up and make this a uh, a better podcast for you all yeah i
1: gotta get a new mic stand so i stopped yeah hitting so she stopped it. hitting it because
0: goodness gracious um so yeah hit us up on cash app or venmo press next podcast uh, on both of those and uh, give us a little coin uh, join us on instagram and our facebook group um press next podcast click the link in our bio follow us on tiktok as well um we really do want to interact with y'all we are are thinking about putting different segments into the show as well uh, we really, we really do. Like, even if it is like sending us an email, so pressnextpodcast at gmail.com, send us an email about stuff that you want us to talk about, like topics, uh, if you think you would like to be a guest on our show because you want to talk about something. If you think that uh, you you have a differing opinion on stuff that we've talked about, that's fine too. We are welcoming all of that. Um, we are not experts. We don't claim to be. We just, want to, we just love watching films and, and having conversations about what the film made us feel and bring up. Um, and then they become interesting because we have different backgrounds and we all do so that's exactly why we do what we do we love y'all for listening uh shout out to everybody who stayed through this episode and um remember when you're sitting on a couch and it's cold outside and you got your popcorn and eating pop tarts whatever your favorite snack is
1: always always press next press
0: next binge watch that stuff we love y'all